Hello and welcome to episode 106 of the NFL Scotland podcast. What was that? Did you make a Did noise? Did you get a click somewhere? I heard a... No, I didn't move. I heard a... Did you do a massive fart? No, I, I certainly did not. I hope you've got the recording to prove it. I have got the certainly recording. That's getting into the outtakes. Hello and welcome to episode 106 of the NFL Scotland podcast. We're starting our divisional previews as we kick off the countdown to the 2020 NFL season. My name is Cameron Hobbs. My name is Paul Mitchell. How big will Burrow be with the Bengals? How far can the Ravens go with Lamar? Will Mayfield meander into the playoffs? And will Big Ben being back save the Steelers? We're having a gander at the AFC North. Once we've done that, we will wrap up with some more details about our week one live event. And to do all that, we're delighted to be joined once again by our very own and PFF's Gordon McGuinness. And we welcome back Scottish Claymore World War I quarterback Jim Ballard. Yes, welcome, gents. Thank you for joining us here at episode 106. And finally, we get to look forward to the NFL season. We're kicking it all off. We're going to be doing our previews. Last year, we did these. Uh, we did the AFC and the NFC North together. But to be honest, we kind of felt a little bit rushed. I remember I had two minutes to, to state why the Cincinnati Bengals were going to win the division last year. I did a better job than they did of it. Uh, I think I put a pretty convincing case forward they didn't show up but we'll come around to that again we're going to kick off as we said there with the AFC North we're going to open with a couple of statements and we're going to see where the conversation takes us from there so I think we'll start with the Ravens as well the opening statement and Gordon McGuinness we're going to look to you as our Ravens fan on this one is Lamar Jackson will be the league MVP this year if if he has as much luck as he had last year. Um, th- this is something that everyone always gets frustrated with when you talk about like regression. And people talked about this with Mahomes last year. Um, I still think Lamar Jackson will be a top five quarterback uh, in 2020. However, they got lucky on you know a load of things last year. They were in fourth and one. They went for it on fourth and one in the regular season like 16 times and got it every single time um and yes that comes down to them being a very good team it comes down to them being a good offensive line with a good system and a quarterback who's just a ridiculous athlete but that's also not a rate that's sustainable and you saw them in the playoffs their luck flipped the other way they didn't get two fourth and ones against the tennessee titans so you know he, he will be the league mvp again if they get a little bit of luck if he breaks that record again for most rushing yards but ultimately it's more likely that he drops back down a little bit and they are still a very good team uh, still a Super Bowl contender, but not quite with that same 14-2 record with a unanimous MVP at quarterback. Jim, as a quarterback coach, if you're looking at someone like Lamar Jackson, what are the things that he needs? Oh, we saw massive improvement, I think, on his throwing capabilities from year one to year two. Now going into year three, what are the things that he needs to improve on to continue that growth in the game? I just, I, I think he needs to build on what he did last year. I mean, obviously the season that he had, the, the stats that he put up was, was just unbelievable. Um, you know, they, they did such a great job in Baltimore of building an offense around a quarterback to his specific skill set, And that, that's a, you know, a big tip to, for, for, to John Harbaugh. And, you know, because it, th- this offense that they run is, is not the typical 
NFL offense that you've seen years in and years out. You know, there's it's more of a passing league. You get a quarterback back in shotgun, you go spread, and you just throw the ball all over the field. Well, Baltimore decided to go two, three tight ends, line up in backs, and you stack the box with 11 guys, still know they're going to run the ball, and they're still able to just pound the ball down your throat. Uh, he did a great job of, um, you know, making decisions as far as, uh, you know, with the football. They didn't turn the ball over that much. Um, you know, he's a he's just a freakish athlete. Yeah, I'm looking at his statistics from last year, completed 66% of his passes, 36 touchdowns, six interceptions, six to one ratio. Doesn't really get much better than that. And then you get him on the edge and you talk about the things that he can do with, with rushing the ball. And he's just, he's a freak. I mean, he's just an absolute freak to watch. Uh, but I agree. I, I think that they're going to take a step back. I think that, you know, defenses in the NFL are good enough to, to, to figure things out. If you remember, you know, how the, the ebbs and flow of the NFL was never when the, when the wildcat was a thing and, you know, people couldn't figure out how to, you know, stop the wildcat formation. And then a, a bunch of teams started mimicking that a little bit, but there's only one Lamar Jackson. So if teams are going to try and copy that type of offense, they're not going to be nearly successful, but you will have coaches make some, um, make some adjustments to it. Um, but then, again, you're Baltimore, and, and you already have Ingram in the backfield, and what do you do? You go out and you get a stud from Ohio State, uh, J.K. Dobbins. I mean, what a one-two punch that's going to be. And, oh, by the way, Lamar Jackson also rushed for 1,000 yards last year. <laughs> so you got a three-headed monster. you got guys on the on the outside that can stretch the field. Um, they, you know, they picked up a stud linebacker, Patrick Queen from LSU. He's getting some early uh, comparisons to Ray Lewis. It's a big, uh, that's a big comparison, but – the kid's a flat-out stud. They picked up a, a really good defensive tackle from Texas A&M. Then they went to uh, wide receiver in the third round with DeVernay. I mean, they had an outstanding draft. You know, Baltimore has, has done that for years with Ozzie Newsome. Uh, the new general manager uh, did an unbelievable job as well. And, I mean, they're, they're looking to make some noise in the AFC North, and they're obviously the team to beat until they're not. Gordon, it was an impressive draft, and I remember us speaking about it at the time. Even in free agency, though, the pickups of Calais Campbell, uh, Derek Wolf, two big, important players as well. It feels like there's a lot of great pieces in Baltimore. Where's the weakness this year? The the weakness is the, the one thing they struggled with last year, and it's what you saw in the two games they lost in the regular season and in the playoffs. Um, and the one thing with Lamar Jackson is he has not had to play from behind much in the NFL. Um, and I don't think it's necessarily a flaw with him, but there are huge question marks with what they have at wide receiver because they've got four guys who all look to be you know, fairly talented, but they're all young and raw. Marquise Brown's a guy who, you know, had a Liz Frank injury at the start of last year, so wasn't at 100%. The, their number one wide receiver is, you know, all their eggs are in the basket that he takes a step forward next year. And if there's a concern with them on offense, it's that, you know, they're going to get into a position like they got against Tennessee where a couple of things go against you and all of a sudden you're in a 14 nothing, a 17 nothing hole. When that happens to the Kansas City Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes and that offense is set up with, you know, ludicrous speed at wide receiver at numerous positions to, to be able to go out and score three touchdowns in the space of two minutes. The Ravens haven't proven that they can do that yet. And they have, you know, Lamar Jackson can take a step forward and get there. 
Marquise Brown can take a step forward and help them get there. But it's a big unknown. And then on the defensive side of the ball, I think they kind of counteracted that a little bit, going out and getting Calais Campbell and Derek Wolf. What they don't want to happen next year is get in a position whereby they are a little bit behind and all of a sudden a team starts to run the ball on them and starts to you know bleed the clock a little bit and limit what they can do on offense. So they, they addressed it in one way. I do have some pretty big concerns that they haven't addressed it properly um, with the skill position players to go along with Jackson. Paul, last year the Ravens were one of the more entertaining teams to watch. I think that, you know, the speed on the ground, the way that they attacked, the the flowing offensive football that they played, although a lot of it was on the ground, you know, we saw Jackson progress from year one to year two and kind of shut up a lot of people that were just like, he's a running back that's got the ball in his hands. You know, he's proven himself to be much more than that. From an entertainment value, um, the Ravens, we hope, will be one of the better teams to watch this year again. I think they'll be great to watch. I just had to look up what a Liz Frank injury was. I, th- I thought it was named after a Liz <laughs> Frank. Uh, but thankfully not, that's just a midfoot injury. My, my concern is the start. Now, I'm looking at something on my screen that says the, the Ravens are going to start 5-0. and Now, if you don't have a preseason, there's it's very likely that Cleveland could come in in week one and do them. You then have Houston Texans, who are a very capable team, and then you've got the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, I could stand here and argue that they could go in three to start, conceivably. And from that kind of position, yes, they've got the talent to come back. They've got rated the easiest schedule in the division compared to winning percentage. But I'll tell you what, I want to see the Baltimore Ravens trailing at the start of the fourth quarter to Cleveland, to Houston, and then to Kansas, because I'll tell you what, that's when they're a good team to watch. That's what I want to see, how innovative they come. I think Gordon mentioned that they don't play from behind an awful lot. I don't want to see them any harm coming to the Ravens. I love watching them, but I want to see them put in positions where they've got to come from behind and really shine. That, I think, would be very interesting to me. So we've touched on there that week one, of course, the Ravens host the Cleveland Browns. So we kick off right away with a divisional matchup. So I'm going to move on to the next team and statement number two. And Jim, we're going to let you lead this one. Baker Mayfield is the man to lead the Browns to the postseason because... They got better with the acquisition of the new head coach. Different philosophies. Um, They still have two of the top four or five running backs in the NFL. You know, we're talking about Nick Chubb, who up until the fourth quarter of the last game of the year was going to be the the leading rusher in the NFL until Derrick Henry ripped off that 60-yard touchdown run and Chubb dropped to two. But when you've got Chubb and you've got Kareem Hunt, and then you bring in Stefanski from from Minnesota, who does a great job of utilizing tight ends, uh, we've, we, you know, the Browns, I say we because I'm a Browns fan, obviously, but they, they still got Njoku who can stretch the middle of the field, been hurt a little bit, but then they go out and they sign, uh, help me out, the uh, all-pro uh, tight end, uh, Austin, uh, Austin Hooper. Hooper. Austin Hooper. And then they go out and they get the, uh, the best tight end in the country last year, the Mackey Award winner, Harrison Bryant, a freak athlete from Florida Atlantic. So they've got three legitimate tight ends that they can utilize. You can also talk about the fact that we have, uh, and uh, Jesus Beckham. Yep. Or not Beckham. Uh, yeah, Antonio. Uh, God, spit it out. Odell. Odell Beckham Jr. Wow. 
<laughs> you still have him, and then you still have Jarvis Landry on the outside. Sorry about that. The listeners out there, I apologize. I'm tripping <laughs> on my words today. But uh, they've got some guys on the outside that can stretch the field. They've got the tight ends inside to, to, to get down in between the two high safety defenses that a lot of teams choose to run. And then you've got two, two of the top four running backs, as I said, in, in the NFL to run the ball. So they're going to be able to utilize the play-action game, You'll see a lot more of that. You'll see Baker Mayfield uh, put in better situations, I believe, this year. He did. He, you know, he challenged himself. He accepted the fact that, you know what, I just I didn't have a good season last year, and, and that's on me. He's not looking to point the finger. Guys in the locker room really like him. He's a good leader. He works his ass off. You know, he's got a good. You know, he's he's a good teammate. He's the guy that you you want to go to battle with. And he's got swag and he's got all that stuff too. And you just you're going to get in the huddle with him, and they're just going to get better this year. Uh, they went out and they got a big receiver uh, from Michigan, the, the Donovan Peoples-Jones. They got a center in the fifth round, which is also going to help. And then, of course, the, the best pick that I think the Browns had this year was Jedrick Wills, the offensive tackle from Alabama. Really going to solidify that offensive line and help the Browns do the things that you know I, I, I think they're going to be good at. And, and again, it's run the ball, play action pass, and put Baker Mayfield in a situation to where he's going to have a lot of easier completions because of the offense and the system that Stefanski is going to put in. I think it's really interesting that you've touched on there as well that, you know, the the top talent out of last year was the running backs. Um, obviously, when you've got Odell Beckham Jr., when you've got Jarvis Landry, Baker Mayfield, there was so much focus on him and these wide receivers. It didn't click all that well last year. Now, you know, heads were down at points. That was very obvious to see. It felt like perhaps Freddie Kitchens didn't have the depth of playbook that he could go to to try and get himself out of a hole. If you look at things, though, from a talent point of view, and you compare it to the Ravens, the Browns are every bit as stacked on talent as the Ravens are. So, obviously, the Eagles on the Browns, perhaps, from an outside point looking in, look to be perhaps, you know, they need to be controlled a little bit better. Is that a big, important thing you think the head coach needs to do at the start of this to make sure that he can lead this team in the way that he wants to lead it? Yeah, you'll see that from Stefanski. I mean, he's he's coached in big games. You know, he's done an, an unbelievable job as the offense coordinator. He's been in the NFC Championship game. He's got a lot of experience uh, in big games, you know, being from behind. You know, the, the miracle throw that he was a part of, you know, a few years back. He's, he's going to bring a lot of that confidence from, from the experiences that he's had as a coach. They put together a great staff. The offensive coordinator is a former quarterback that, that I played with in Buffalo, uh, Alex Smith – or Alex Van Pelt, I'm sorry, who's been in the NFL a long time. He was obviously the quarterback coach for Aaron Rodgers. And to, th- this is the kind of guy that Alex is. When, when he was let go from Green Bay, McCarthy let him go, uh, Rodgers was pissed. He wasn't consulted because he really liked Alex. And Alex is one of those guys. He played the position, number one. So as the offensive coordinator, he's, he's able to see things that some coordinators might not see. He's got a, he's got a real good flow for, for how to deal with quarterbacks. He's a quarterback guy. He's going to really be able to help uh, Baker take steps forward and be able to relate to him because he did play the position for as long as he did. And he's been with guys, like I said, like Aaron Rodgers. So you put those two things together offensively, they get better. You know, we're talking about that week one matchup. The Browns went into Baltimore last year and just kicked their ass. I mean, and it was, it wasn't even close. They physically dominated that team. So if you don't think that Baltimore has that circled and, and, and is aware of what happened last year, um, you know, th- this is the first game of the year where they're looking to set the tone for the rest of the season. 
And the Browns they, could really upset that from the beginning. They also, they, as well as the, the big win in Baltimore, they actually, they were up late in the first half in Cleveland against them, what, week 14, week 15. And like the Ravens scored two touchdowns in about a minute and a half because, you know, just like two or three mistakes by the Browns one after the other. If that doesn't happen, then that's another one of those situations where the Ravens are again in the second half down by two touchdowns. Yeah. And what happened was I remember the, I remember the game. I watched it. The Browns completely mishandled the clock before half. Yep. They threw the ball incomplete clock stopped. They didn't have to use any timeouts kitchen. Just, I mean, there was probably four games last year that I believe with a, a more experienced head coach would have slid over into the win column as opposed to the lose column. And it, it was stuff like that. In the in NFL, the game is decided by six or seven plays. And when you give that kind of team momentum like that going into half and then to get the ball in the second half, like you said, the game, the game completely flipped in a matter of minutes and it didn't have to go that way had they just played it smart ran the ball, shrank, shrank the clock down, make them use their timeouts, and then see if they might be able to get one field goal as opposed to put two touchdowns on the board. So, you know, with that being said, it's, it's going to be a fun matchup week one. Um, we'll just have to wait and see how it plays out. But you're going, to see the, you're going to see a much better Browns team this year, I can tell you that. Yeah, certainly hope so. Uh, Gordon, as a Ravens fan, how do the Browns beat the Ravens week one if they're going to do it? I, I think it's it's what Jim touched on there. It's that they have a much better offensive system in place this year. I I think as well, people went a bit overboard with how bad they think Baker Mayfield was last year. He definitely took a step back from year one to year two. And, you know, there was parts of that that I think were down to him not showing up in you know, complete shape and things like that. But he wasn't completely terrible. He is still the guy who was the number one overall pick in 2018 was still great as a rookie quarterback. Uh, I, I think in our history at PFF, which is about 13, 14 years of grading now, Russell Wilson's the only rookie quarterback to ever finish the season with a higher grade. You know, you now give him that system that is going to be so much more quarterback friendly. You saw what he did, uh, what Stefanski did with Kirk Cousins. They're going to use play action an awful lot more. They're going to be in winning positions um, a lot easier. And then I think, you know, the big news today is that Miles Garrett's re-signed on a five-year, $125 million deal. You know, he's the type of player who, when Jim says, you know, six plays can decide the game, he's the type of player that can make two of those plays, you know, and he, he can go and, and force a fumble, uh, you know, force the quarterback into a decision or, you know, lay a hit that puts Lamar Jackson out for a quarter, all those things that can go against them. You uh, you touched on the fact that the, the big news that you signed the contract. I'll be honest, Gordon, the big news is that breaking news broke before we recorded our podcast rather than five minutes after, <laughs> which is what normally happens. And we think, damn it, we look like we've missed it again. So for once, we get the news breaking just 48 minutes ago, hot off the press. Uh, Jim, you've sent over a picture to us there. Uh, you were telling us before we started that one of your friends coaches him. Based on the picture you've just sent over, my God, he's a monster of a man. He's He's a shit. He's yeah. What God did was it, it, he took this big six foot six piece of stone and just started chiseling. And when he was done, that was the end result. And that's Miles Garrett in that picture. Yeah. The thing that I like too, you know, with the, you know, sure enough, the future with Miles Garrett is, is the Browns went heavy defensively in the draft this year. 
They went out in the second round and got uh, Grant Delpit. That's really good safety from LSU. They got a, a really good defensive tackle from Missouri, Jordan Elliott. And then they got the linebacker from LSU, Jacob Phillips. So now you've got two guys that, that played together in college, one, one of the second level at the linebacker position. And then you got a safety who's going to come out and start this year. You know, it's exciting what they did, you know, what we have on offense with all the changes that we're talking about with Stefanski coming in with the pieces that are still left over from last year. But now you flip it over to the defensive side of the ball and they had a really good draft defensively as well. So they went heavy early with defense and they're it's going to uh, it's really going to make differences this year in the way that they play. They're going to switch up their system a little bit. Um, and with, you know, with Miles being here for the next five years, I mean, that that solidifies, you know, him being here. And for free agents to be able to come in and play with a guy like Garrett, Garrett's a guy, you know, like Landry. Hey, man, I've been around the league. I'm a very good player. And Cleveland is a is a good place to be. You know, for a while, it's, it's kind of like, oh, well, I got the Browns that are going to sign. I mean, it was kind of that whole hump kind of thing because they've been so bad for so long. And, you know, I keep saying the same thing every year. Man, I really hope this is the year that they flip it around. And I, I feel really good about it. So we'll see. So you've touched on the fact, obviously, they've gone to LSU, picked up a couple of players. They, of course, have Greedy Williams, who was at LSU as well. So right away, you've got three important pieces of your defense. All have played together he, what, the same what college. Year he, what, what a year he had uh, last year at the corner position. And then, you know, we still have the, the, the corner that, that, that played there uh, last year, who was a local kid. So the, defensively, we're, we got a lot better. Paul, we can't move on from the Browns without touching on Jamie Gillen, the Scottish Hammer. And what a season he had. You know, he won that position and he showed throughout the year exactly why he deserved it. Um, an absolutely brilliant one. We're talking about pictures, by the way, in the off season. I don't know if you've seen a picture of Jamie Gillen recently, but he is dealt with boredom by going to the gym. Holy crap. Um, I tell you what, you know, Pat McAfee was a big old punter. He was a strong laddie. But let me tell you, Jamie Gillen has had his porridge oats and he is going to be, if he manages to hit someone this year, I tell you what, they're going to feel it a lot more than they felt 2019 Jamie Gillen anyway. You know, what? I, hope for, I hope for Cleveland's sake that Jamie's not the story this year. And I think it tells you a lot about how Cleveland were last year. And this is no disrespect to Jamie that their punter became their biggest success story. I think they were a disappointment. I think I think Jim's so right. I mean, if you look at if you think that Freddie Kitchen's time management cost him four games, so that's rather than being ten and six, you're six and ten. And I was going to say you're out of work, but you're out of head coaching. Uh, he's picked up a gig with the Giants being their tight end coach. So they've got to eliminate this. They've got all the talent in the world. Kevin Stefanski, I think, is a pretty good appointment. I'm looking forward to seeing him. In terms of the Scottish Hammer, I, I would like to see him punting less um, because I, I think they punted too much. Uh, but he does. He is one of those kickers that if you are on a run back, I mean, Jim would possibly know this better than me. I mean, I would imagine some returners don't give two hoots where the kicker is. I'll tell you what, if I'm running it back, I'm checking to see where Jamie Gillen is. <laughs> um, yeah, he is a he's a gam. He is a grown-ass man. And he, he is. He looks like a long safety. I mean, and, and he's yeah. big and he's strong. And the thing about Jamie is you hit on a – for a first-year kicker – or excuse me, punter – to have the season he did and to beat out an experienced punter. It wasn't like he went in and beat out some rookie. I mean, this guy had been, had been in the league for a while. He came in and beat him out and he had an unbelievable year. He's one of those guys that can, you know, help flip the field with a big 60, 65 yard punt. 
you know, because of his rugby background and everything, he's able to, to angle punt extremely well, which, which puts, you know, defense or offenses in, in situations where they might have to go 80, you know, 90 yards as opposed to 75. So when you have a guy like that on the, in the special teams aspect of the game, which is just as important as the other two, I mean, he, he's one of those guys that's one of the best punters in the league. The Browns, of course, travel to Baltimore week one. Uh, they then host the Bengals week two. Now, we've touched on those three LSU pieces in defense. You've obviously got two big LSU wide receivers. So there's a real LSU feel in Cleveland. Well, there's a bit of an LSU feel in Cincinnati, of course, as Joe Burrow picked number one overall. And the Browns have peppered their defense with pieces that know all about Joe Burrow. So, you know, that's a very important and wise move on their side. But let's move on to the Cincinnati Bengals then and Joe Burrow because coming into this season on what was uh, just absolute disappointment last year, it really was a poor 2019 for the Bengals. It meant they got the number one pick. It meant they went and got Burrow after what was one hell of a season. Burrow's from Ohio, of course, just, uh, I'm not sure miles-wise, I would think about 50 to 70 miles away from Cincinnati, I think is where he grew yeah, up. Yeah, he's, he's from Athens. Yeah, so, you know, local boy going home to Cincinnati. This is probably too early for them to go from a worst-to-first type scenario, but certainly you'd like to think there'll be some progress. What can the Bengals look forward to from Joe Burrow's? Well, he's he's a guy who uh, is a son's. He, he's a son, a coach's son. Uh, he's extremely intelligent, high football IQ, work ethic like no other. And the thing that, and I, I believe I told you, we talked about this on the podcast I did last time with you guys. As in, as in, as his season was, as much as his season was impressive on the field, he absolutely killed that speech. The, the, the Heisman Trophy and just bringing, you know, awareness to, to where he was from. And I mean, all, all he did by was just expressing his emotions for and gratitude for the place that he grew up. He helped raise f- over five hundred thousand dollars for the for those kids. I mean, he's just it's, he's just a class guy. If, if you're if you're a general manager and you want a, a face of a franchise that, you know, is, is going to be that guy that can deal with the ups and the downs. Is, is he a good character guy? Does he check all these boxes? Joe Burrows tech checks all boxes and puts X's through them and circles around them and everything else you want to do. He's just that guy. Now, with that being said, he's, a, he is a rookie quarterback with a new coach. Is he going to take, you know, is there going to be some ups and downs? Absolutely. Cause Cincinnati's just not a very good team, but they did have an outstanding draft. They, they took him with the first pick. Obviously they took the big receiver T Higgins from Clemson. That's another big pickup. Then they went line. They went two linebackers on defense. They went D end, uh, another linebacker in the seventh. But these guys that they picked, you know, Logan Wilson from uh, Wyoming, uh, Davis Gaither, linebacker from Appalachian State, D end from Notre Dame. I mean, they had an outstanding draft. You look at a lot of the the draft um, gurus that that rate how they think teams did, and this is an A. This is an A grade um, from top to bottom. So all they can do is get better. I don't. I don't see them. Getting doing anything more than seven and nine, but I think Joe Burrow's going to have a good year, and as long as he's healthy, he gives him a chance to win every time they step out on the field on Sundays. Gordon, the Bengals are not without talent. You know, again, we've touched on the fact Joe Burrow's is a great rookie coming in. T. Higgins looks like an exciting talent as well. If A.J. Green can stay fit, 
he's a huge weapon. Joe Mixon is often talked about as one of these underrated running backs in the league. For me, I think he's highly rated. I hear people talking about him all the time, so how can he be underrated? Um, they also made some big pickups as well on the defensive side of things. DJ Reader coming in, uh, Trey Wayne's coming in, Mackenzie Alexander coming in. Um, perhaps the one area throws that offensive line. How important is that going to be for the success of Joe Burrows this year? Yeah, and you know, the offensive line, you either have to scheme up to get rid of the ball very quickly, um, which is something that Burrow and uh, Joe Brady, who's now with Carolina Panthers, I think, did a great job of LSU. Um, that was an offense that was built on, you know, quick reads, getting the ball out there. And, you know, he went on to have statistically one of the most incredible seasons of all time. The offensive line... You know, it, and especially I think as well when you, given everything that's going on in the world just now, you know, training camp likely starts a little bit late. You know, we're not getting preseason as normal. We might not get preseason at all. All those things, you're going to be limited with how much work you get. Um, and just, you know, I think that along with the struggles along the offensive line will make for like a bumpy first couple of weeks. Um, but I think when you look at the Bengals this season, it's a lot less about, you know, I, you know, I think the absolute ceiling for them would be they sneak in as the as the seventh team in the playoffs because you know that's the new you can get in there at eight and eight you get like a little bit of luck. But the most important thing for them is that they come out of this season, you know, knowing that Joe Burrow is someone that they can trust for the next couple of years to take them forward. And I think that's going to be the case. I think it's a season that you know I could see them anywhere between like six and ten, eight and eight. But I think there's going to be some big highs, a lot like you saw with the Arizona Cardinals last year. You know, they weren't anywhere near good enough to make the playoffs. But Kyler Murray had enough flashes and enough high points that Cardinals fans came out of the season thinking, okay, you know, 2020, we might make the playoffs. 2021, we could contend for a championship. And I think that's that's where the Bengals are. And, you know, you look at them as well. They're in a division with three very good teams. But the Pittsburgh Steelers have Ben Roethlisberger at the end of his career. The Ravens and the Browns have Lamar Jackson and Baker Mayfield. Both of them, at some point, likely signed big contracts. Whether or not it goes anywhere near Patrick Mahomes' contract is one thing, but they're going to be paying them a lot of money. When they start paying them a lot of money, all of a sudden the Bengals are going to be the team in the division with potentially a very good quarterback paying him, you know, like a top 25 quarterback instead of a top five one. So there's going to be an opportunity for them in two, three years time to make some big noise. Paul, we were lucky enough to see Joe Burrow play for LSU at Death Valley. I'll be honest, like when we went out there, we were watching uh, Devin White. We were watching Greedy Williams. We were watching the names that were coming into the draft. I didn't go to LSU then in 2018 thinking we're going to be watching the future number one pick in the draft. But what a season he's had and what exciting talent that the Bengals have now in their in their building. Yeah, and I think it's good for Cincinnati to have some excitement. I think it's also worth noting that Jonah Williams, who hurt himself last year in minicamp, was a high draft pick. He's also available, the offensive tackle. So they've got another piece they didn't have last year. I think Burroughs, I mean, you, we watched him and see him in person. The footwork was great. The decision-making was quick. You know, he had all the attributes to, that looked good from the stands, but he then went on and just had such an incredible year. And I'm, you know, so pleased to, to hear Jim saying, that, you know, he's a high character guy, that he is the kind of guy that people want at their franchise because, you know, 
when I started watching American football, the Bengals were relevant. And it would be nice to see them relevant again. You know, you want that little bit of success. Uh, Joe Mixon's the concern. If he doesn't get his way, you just wonder how that will affect him. But I don't think they're going to be the automatic, you know, my team's playing the Bengals, we are going to win type thing as, as it was for a lot of teams last year. I think it's changed it up. I think it's, I think one of these things with these quarterbacks is it just opens up the interest again in the games. You know, I mean, Baltimore against Cincinnati again becomes interesting because you've got, you know, a new quarterback playing. So I think it ramps up the level of interest. I think that's what was needed in, in Cincinnati. So it'll be interesting to see how far he can carry them. The Bengals have a difficult start to the season. They're at home to the Chargers, then they're away to the Browns, away to the Eagles, home to the Jags, then away to the Ravens and away to the Colts. That's four road games to start the season. Jim, as a player, how significant is that to be on the road as much as that and against good teams, against divisional rivals, the Browns and the Ravens away from home, at the Eagles, which is a tough place to go, and then at the Colts with Philip Rivers under centre now. That's some tough games for early doors yeah but I, I agree with you uh chargers will have a new look this year obviously without rivers and uh then they go on the road like you said arch rival uh down you know up the state to, to cleveland week two then they got to go on the road and you know line it up against uh, philadelphia then they got the jacksonville at the ravens at the colts and then back with the browns i mean their, their schedule is not doing them any favors early especially inexperienced quarterback you know you got uh, Carson Wentz at, at Philly now, who's has been doing this thing for quite a while. And now you got Doug Peterson, a, a great coach, and Philly's a tough place to play. You know they got a great fan base. Um, you know, and that's going to be coming off the, the the rival game with Cleveland. So, and then they got to go. Then they come back home, and then they're on the road for two more. I mean, it, it is a tough way to start. Um, but we're going to find out early what what kind of team this is going to be. You know how are they going to handle some adversity? Are, are they going to, you know, are they going to get just blown out? Are they going to play play tough? Are they going to be in games? I'm curious to see how good or bad they're they're going to be this year. As I said earlier, I, I see them probably six and ten, maybe seven and nine, depending on, uh, you know, if, if they're able to stay healthy or not. So, but again, they're we'll find out how good they are pretty early on during the season. Another thing that's a factor in Cincinnati, and we'll use this as the final point before we move on, but there's no Andy Dalton now. He's gone to Dallas. It means that Burroughs doesn't have that safety blanket, which can be both good and bad, I guess, in a way. Good because it means that the fans aren't going to very quickly turn on him and want Dalton in, but bad because it's all on Joe Burroughs. How significant do you think that is, that they don't have someone with experience that can guide him on the sidelines like they would have had if they'd retained Andy Dalton? I think it's – if you have a guy that's been in the league, like, like for example, like a Fitzpatrick, can you imagine all the, the, the information that you can learn from him just during the course of one practice before you get into a season? I mean, the guy's been doing it for a long time, and as you said, and it's a great point. I'm looking at the – the, the roster of the, of the Cincinnati Bengals. And besides Joe Burrow, you got Jake Dolgala, who is 23 years old, 6'7", 242 from Central Connecticut State. So he's a small school guy, D2 guy. And then you got Ryan Finley, who played some last year. He's a 2019 fourth-round pick out of, out of Carolina State. So you got three guys that are very inexperienced in the quarterback room. He's not going to get, you know, what you would get with a Phillip Rivers or Fitzpatrick or a – 
you know, a Rogers or anybody that's played significantly in the NFL. So, I mean, that, that's, that's, that's not going to help them. And that's not to say that Cincinnati might not sign a, a veteran quarterback, you know, maybe in a training camp or something like that. But that is a very, very young quarterback room. Yeah, indeed. It'll be interesting. Um, and obviously, you know, a lot of talent, a lot of opportunity, a lot of optimism in Cincinnati. Uh, Paul, we'll move on to the Steelers now and ask you a bit of optimism probably in Pittsburgh because of the return of Big Ben. Big Ben can turn around the season for the Steelers this year if... If he doesn't threaten to retire after the end of every game. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I love Big Ben. I think he's a great guy. He strikes me as, you know, he, he doesn't hold back on his opinions, which I think is good. Um, if you ignore the, the retirement stuff, I mean, like so many teams, he is he is key to them. They had injuries elsewhere to James Conner and Judy Smith-Schuster, etc. I don't think the defence played up to where they should have been. I think they've certainly got potential to be, I think, top three, top five, but they didn't really show that enough last year. But I think it showed, and the, the one thing that surprised me with Marcus Mariota being there, Cam Newton being there, and Jameis Winston being there, that they did not go out and get somebody that could actually start if Big Ben gets knocked out. Because if he gets knocked out in week one or two, I think the season's done again. And I think the the quarterbacks, and, and again, Jim's played the position he knows, it's not a knock on the talent of these guys, but you've got to be exceptional to play at that level and carry a team. And I think the Steelers have left themselves open to Big Ben being injured again. There's obviously been the Steelers last year coming into it, no Lev Bell, no Antonio Brown, obviously. Uh, they had no Lev Bell the year before anyway, but James Conner had come in. It felt like Big Ben going out felt like their season was written off. They they got to an 8-8. Eight and eight, um, They were sort of semi in the playoff conversation still right up until the end. Um without ever being a true threat for it. Gordon, talent-wise, is there enough talent on this Steelers team to actually be a playoff contender at the moment? Yeah, there's. if the quarterback position is able to be even average next season, then they absolutely have a chance to be a team that goes into the playoffs. They're not going to be one of the favourites for the Super Bowl for good reason, but... The quarterback play they had last year between Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges was arguably the worst in the entire NFL. Um, you know, when you have Juju Smith-Schuster at wide receiver and you're just not able to get him the ball, um, there's a huge problem there. And you look at the rest of their offense, Deontay Johnson is a rookie wide receiver um, had a really nice season, forced a ton of missed tackles. Uh, you know, James Connor's a solid running back, if nothing spectacular. Again, tight end, uh, Eric Ebron, Vance McDonald, both solid players. And it's a good offensive line. So, you know, that's on the offensive side of the ball. The defensive side of the ball, they're still absolutely loaded. TJ Watt had a case to be the best defensive player in football last year. Minka Fitzpatrick, they traded a first round pick for. Um, and, you know, not only Cameron can Hayward. he force, yeah, and not only can Fitzpatrick force turnovers, he can score touchdowns. Cameron Hayward, that Jim's just mentioned there, you know, there's a bunch of talent on this team. Um, the big question is just can they keep Big Ben healthy? If he can, if he starts 16 games, then they're they're probably a playoff team. Jim, but I, is it not? But hang on, is it not negligence though that they've not? With with the experienced quarterbacks that were around, Andy Dalton was available. You know, there was there was guys available. I think it's 
I think it's negligence on the part of the Steelers. Now, I, I will declare, I come from a mixed manager. I'm a Saints fan. My wife's a Steelers fan. If they want to mess up the quarterback position, be my guest because it makes my Sunday every week. But if you're a Steelers fan, I think it's negligence. Look, I think you just really wanted the Steelers to sign Jameis Winston so he didn't wind up in, wind up in New Orleans. <laughs> God, Jameis Winston's going to make an I'll, appearance I'll, every week on this podcast, isn't he? I'll, I'll do the trade today. I'll process the paperwork. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jim, Big Ben's obviously been a huge contributing factor to the success of the Steelers for so long. Having sat out most of last season, having had a bit of a weird preseason, obviously the team's not training like they normally would, having potentially not even having much of a preseason, if any at all, to come back in and get into the swing of things. How big of a challenge is Ben going to have to face to get back to his very best? Uh, you know what? Uh, he's he's been around for so long. I mean, he knows he knows how to prepare himself to get ready for seasons. You know, he was hurt last year, so he's been able to spend a lot of time in rehab, and now he's been able to you know extend that out a little bit because of everything that's going on. So. He uh, he's gonna be he's gonna have a good season this year, and um, you know if for some reason he does get hurt or he does he does go down, the, the Steelers did go out. I mean he's not a, a star quarterback, but they did pick up uh, Paxton Lynch, um, a big arm quarterback. Um, he had some experience, had some starts. Um, big kid, six seven, two forty four. He's got a hose for an arm. Uh, then, you know, they, they went out and got Chase Liverpool, the stud, uh, big wide receiver that Ben's been waiting for and begging for. Man, give me the, give me that 6'4", 6'5", guy. Give me that Plaxico Burris kind of guy back in the day. You know, and th- this is a kid that fills that void. 6'4", 238, 41 41-inch vertical. Stud. <laughs> that's that guy on that outside that's going to help him create one-on-ones. Then you move Deontay Johnson. Toledo grad, my buddy Jason Candle doing a great job at Toledo preparing wide receivers for the NFL. He had an outstanding season last year. And of course, you got Juju Smith back, another big time wide receiver. Uh, we're talking about the, the, the running game last year that they had. James Conner did get hurt. But listen, you cannot sleep on Benny Snell Jr. out of Kentucky. I played with Benny's dad, Ben Snell Sr. at uh, the Vegas Outlaws back in the day in the XFL. Benny was a D3 kid. His son is a tough nose running back. He got some carries last year quite a bit when, when Connor did go down and performed at a very high level. Um, I like what they have at the running back. You got Derek Watt, like you said, you know, the receiving core is, is good. Um, you know, defensively, they've, they've got some studs. They've, you know, we, we talked about, um, you know, the big defensive lineman, uh, uh, Cameron Hayward. And then you want to go to the linebackers, Devin Bush, who was a great pick out of, out of, uh, Michigan. His dad played at Florida State back in the day. Bud Dupree's another outstanding linebacker. Uh, they've got pieces. And, and if you think about, like you said, how bad they really played offensively, and for them to still finish 8-8 eight and eight with a guy like Paxton Lynch, I think Paxton Lynch is a guy that can give them two wins. You know, with the running backs that they have and with the addition of, of some of these receivers and, uh, you know, a new year, I, I think Pittsburgh could make some noise. I mean, this is a, a pretty damn good conference you know from top to bottom division should say um where it games can go either way depending on you know if there's a turnover or a penalty or something like that i think there's enough talent on all four of these teams that we're talking about to where it could it could be the difference between six and ten and and eight and eight or nine and seven based on you know just a a few different plays during the course of the game these guys these teams are all good enough to to win 10 10 ball games to say the least it's just a matter of 
they put it all together and stay healthy as, as always. I guess the one thing that the Steelers and the Ravens have over the Bengals and the Browns in what is a tough division is experience at the head coach position. You look at someone like Mike Tomlin and you look at his record, he's never had a losing season in his time with the Pittsburgh Steelers, which is quite a statistic. Um, you know, if you look as well how they've fared over the years, I think even in 2009, they had a 9-7 season, still managed to finish third, you know, with a winning record. It's absolutely bizarre. That says a lot for the division. Um, he's what, what's a, incredible. Yeah. And he's the experience. No, no, he's the experience that you need in the times where you maybe don't have the talent to find ways to win. It's Tomlin. I mean, when you when you talk about professional teams, the Pittsburgh Steelers have been one of those teams, and they've managed, and it, and it goes to their leadership and their owners for years and years. They've had three head coaches in the history of their program. Three. I mean, the Browns had three in one year, I think. <laughs> They've three guys lead their team since the inception of their program. I mean, how incredible is that? And you want to talk about stability? Guys walk into that building and they know exactly what they're getting from Coach Tom. They know that he's going to be a he's he's a guy that's going to you know get in their face and yell at him, but he's going to be the first guy that's you know high fiving and, and throwing shoulders into guys, coaching with emotion. I, I would love to play for a guy like that. I mean, the guy is just as real as it, as it gets. He's a no-bullshit guy. You know where you stand. You know what the expectations are. You know how we run the program. And if you don't follow what I'm telling you to do, then we'll find somebody else that will. And look at the formula, as you said. This isn't a formula that, that might work year to year. This is a program and a, and a way of doing things that consistently puts up winning records year in, year out. Paul, we talked so far about the schedule. We highlighted the fact that the Bengals have a very difficult four road trips at, out of their first six at the start of the season. The Steelers have the opposite. They've only got two road trips to start their first six games. However, at the end of the season, when things come to the crunch and you're really pushing to get into the playoffs, their last four games are at Buffalo on the 13th of December. So that's going to be six foot in snow. They're then at the Cincinnati Bengals on the 21st of December. So that's in about three foot of snow. They then play the Colts at home, which could also be snow. And then they're at the Browns on January 3rd. So they've got two divisional games on the road. They've got to go to Buffalo and they host the Colts. That's a tough running. It is a tough running. I, it puzzles me slightly, and I know some teams have got to flip, but I, I still think you know, you've got to try and achieve home and away as much as you can in the scheduling because I think it is unfair. It, it allows them to get off to a great start with a home advantage, and then they've got to go on the road. Now, you could argue that the last two games, if they've played well, might not mean too much. The Colts are certainly beatable, but I, th I think that's really tough for them. But you, you get the advantage at the start, and I'm sure Mike Tomlin would say that. You know, you you have to just get on with it. it. You know, they can't influence that. And I think Mike Tomlin strikes me as the kind of guy that just dismisses everything else as noise. And what he can influence, he'll deal with. What he can't influence, he'll just accept and move on. Gordon, I'll give you the last word because um, Thanksgiving... I think this is the first time since 2013 that a Thanksgiving game has been between the Ravens and the Steelers. That game famous, of course, for Mike Tomlin stepping in front of the <laughs> kick returner. Uh, I don't think yeah. any penalty was called. It got away with that one. A sly little move. An experienced head coach, <laughs> one might say. Um, but obviously, you know, we're talking there about whether or not the Steelers are going to be much of an impact team. 
from the point of view of sitting down on Thanksgiving and watching those games, which even for us in the UK and in Scotland, you know, it's it's the one that you look for in the calendar because it's brilliant. For us, I think it's the uh, just after midnight game as well. Um, but we want to make sure that it's worth staying up for. Yeah, and I mean, this is this is the game that everyone's going to look forward to on that day because, you know, in theory, both teams should be in the playoff hunt, you know, six weeks to go until the end of the season. Uh, they are hated rivals. Uh, and uh, the thing I love about Raven-Steelers games is it doesn't matter who is playing quarterback for either team. It doesn't matter who's playing. You're almost always going to get a close game. I remember, I'm pretty certain the Ravens beat the Steelers with Troy Smith playing quarterback. Um, the Ravens almost lost the Steelers with Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges playing quarterback last year. It took a Marlon Humphrey forced fumble. So that's, you know, one o'clock in the morning when I don't know about you guys, despite the fact I'm not American, I will still eat a lot of food on Thanksgiving, you know, <laughs> stay, staying awake, eating the, the last of whatever food I have. And that's, that's going to be a game that's going to be worth staying up for. Gentlemen, we've come to the end of our preview and now it's time to put ourselves on the line. What we're going to do now is we're going to go around each of you and ask you where you predict this division is going to end. We want to know who's first, second, third and fourth. Um, Paul, we're going to be kind to our guests and you and me for a change. We're going to put ourselves on the line first and then we can turn it over to our guests. So, Mr. Mitchell, I'm going to let you kick us off. Okay, I am going for Cincinnati uh, to finish fourth. Before you think I'm going yeah, to, I was going to say, what have you been drinking over there? See, see, I, I like that. I, I would like to point out, I'm, I'm drinking Diet Coke while you're drinking some fruity flavoured, <laughs> stupid beer. Anyhow, that aside, so Cincinnati fourth, Pittsburgh third, Baltimore second. I'm, I'm going for Cleveland. I think the talent's there, and I think the runs there. Uh, and I, I'll, I'll read a lot into week one, but I'm, I'm going to go with Cleveland. I think they've made the right coaching appointment. I think they've got the talent everywhere. I'm with Gordon, the fact that I'm not sure Baltimore will get quite the, the breaks that they necessarily got. And every and I'm, that's not a knock on Baltimore. Every team needs a little bit of good fortune just to turn the odd game or two. So I'll go Cleveland, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati. Okay. Cleveland, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati. Cincinnati. So right, okay. there's only four teams. If you could keep up, that would be great. <laughs> as you said, I'm having a fruity beer. I've only had half of it as well. I'm too busy talking. Um, right, okay. So I think that, yeah, for me, the Bengals do finish bottom, but I think they make a substantial step forward this year. Um, I think they may, I think this is a really tight division, first of all. I think that it's going to be close and it's going to go down to the last couple of weeks to confirm both the winner and who's getting into the postseason. But I do think that it's Bengals on bottom, then the Steelers only a win at most ahead of them. I think it's going to be as tight as that. Then between the top two, I think that it's going to be a single win between these two as well. I think that the Ravens' top the division and I think the Browns are just one win behind them and into the postseason at that point we'll stick to the NFL Scotland team and Gordon you can go next so yeah I think the Bengals the Bengals are the worst team in the division um you know even improving on last season they still they need to improve and then some so I just don't I, I think they're a you know five six seven win team they finish fourth in the division uh I, I think Pittsburgh are third um, same as you guys. I just, as much talent as they have on defense, 
I just don't know that they're going to get enough at quarterback. Um, and then, so the top two, I, I don't disagree with the notion that the Ravens take a step back. I don't disagree with the notion that the Browns take a step forward. But there's luck and there's regression that drops you from 14 wins and, you know, trying to get yourself up from six, seven wins. Um, so I have Baltimore still win the division by a couple of games. But I think, you know, the the if you're looking at the season, I have a hard time unless Lamar Jackson gets hurt seeing the Ravens lose any more than six games. At which point, you know, you only need one more win and it's probably a division title. So Baltimore, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati for me. All right. And Jim, we'll let you close out with your predictions. I am going to go with Cincinnati finishing fourth at six and ten. Uh, that those first six or seven games starting out that season with so many of them being on the road, a little tough to overcome. I got Pittsburgh finishing nine and seven, um, losing two or three games by less than five points. You got the Browns coming in second at ten and six. Uh, I, I do think that they they do a much better job than what they did last year. Uh, there was games that, that were left out there that they could have won with an experienced coach. Love what Stefanski brings to the offense. I love the Hooper sign. Uh, the other tight end we talked about from Florida Atlantic, uh, still having Najoku, the running backs. The pieces are so there. Can we just put the puzzle together and keep the puzzle together? Or do the puzzle pieces just get nicked off one at a time and then you lose one and Beckham, you know, flips out and, kicks a kicking net again. I mean, hopefully none of those things happen, um, but the, the pieces are in place. And um, I think they finished 10 to six. I think Baltimore comes in to, to win the division uh, at 11 and five. And there are a lot of great points about Baltimore and their inability to play from behind. Can they do that this year? That's the one glaring question uh, about this Baltimore Ravens team. We know that they can line up and if, the, if they're in control and they can uh, manage the clock and, and run the ball and shrink the game and, uh, keep playing in front of the sticks. That's the other thing. They were so good at running the ball that they never played behind the sticks. There wasn't a lot of second and longs or third and twelves and, and, and those kinds of situations because they could line up and get four or five yards on, on first down. I mean, when you when you, you can do that offensively, it makes it so easy to call plays. You can dial up whatever you want because you have a guy that's dynamic like that and you're only looking at four to six yards on the percentages to pick that up and control the game go way up. So as I said, Baltimore eleven and five, Cleveland ten and six, Pittsburgh nine and seven, Cincinnati six and ten. I think it's going to be a really exciting division uh, this year. There's a lot of good teams, um, and there's I don't think there's a lot of separation between first, second, and third. I don't think there's going to be as much separation as people think from what last year. You know, Baltimore's so dominant, but I, I don't I don't think that's going to happen this year. So it's going to be a fun season. Uh, I'm excited about it, and uh, hopefully uh, the virus goes away and that's my quick pro ball on that i'll leave that alone <laughs> <laughs> um yes yeah, so lots to look forward to with the afc north gents there's one more thing that we need you to do uh and we're gonna ask every single person that's involved in these previews now you're not the first because mark donaldson from espn last week had to go on the line super early we want your way too early super bowl predictions right now so what we want is who's your afc representative who's your nfc representative and who's winning it? Gordon, I'm going to start with you again. I'm going to be as um, obvious as possible, and I'm going to pick the Ravens to be in the Super Bowl. Um, I think on paper, you know, it might not break down this way, but on paper, 
it has to be them or Kansas City, I think, as the most logical representative. Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb on the NFC, though, and I, no one else is going to agree with me on this. Uh, I think the Arizona Cardinals might shock everyone and go to the Super Bowl this year. I think uh, Kyler Murray takes a big step forward. They already had talent at wide receiver and they added DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, I think Cliff Kingsbury does a really good job at understanding space on offense that not that many NFL teams have caught up to. And I think they're a team who are going to score a lot of points. And I think the other teams in the NFC West, the Rams have taken a big step back recently. The Seahawks, I don't think, understand just how good Russell Wilson is and don't put the game in his hands enough. And I think your 49ers have a little bit of a Super Bowl hangover. So my very much out on a limb is that the Arizona Cardinals go to the Super Bowl, but they lose. And I get to enjoy February, hopefully. So hopefully (laughs) Ravens over Cardinals in February. Now, am I, I'm just scanning, I'm thinking through history. Would that be the first ever Super Bowl battle of the Birds? I think it might be. I can't think of another one off the top of my head that we've had two Bird-related teams face off against each other <laughs> in a Super Bowl. I, I do think Cameron, that was a stat do, from the other year. Yeah, I do remember Atlanta, who are obviously a Bird team, were 28-3 to three up and lost. They didn't play against another Bird team. I just thought I'd throw that in because it's <laughs> really still quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> cheap shot, cheap shot. It was, it was. Right, okay, so Ravens over Cardinals. Jim Ballard, over to you. What's your Super Bowl prediction? I'm gonna I'm gonna take it down south, man. I'm gonna go with Brady and Gronk and the Buccaneers to slide into the Super Bowl out of the NFC this year. And I think they're gonna line up against the Ravens. And uh I'm gonna go with Tampa Bay 31, Ravens 20. Oof. Tampa Bay will be your Super Bowl champions. Oof. Ring number seven for Tom Brady. What a way to prove everybody wrong, including me that's predicted they'll have a losing season. I'm starting to regret that one. Um, <laughs> the things you say, the things you say in the heat of the moment, eh? the things you say. Brilliant. Right, gents, thank you very much. Um, obviously, Paul and I um, run this podcast, so it's our prerogative. We're not making our predictions until the week before the season starts, and that's just how it's going to go. But um, thank you guys for joining us. It's been a brilliant start to kick off our previews looking at the AFC North. Let's look forward to the NFL being back in our seasons, in our seasons, being back in our lives, and we can't wait for it. Here's to the AFC North being an absolute belter. Look forward to it. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Appreciate the time. So, Paul, great to be joined by the guys there and a really good way to kick off our previews with an interesting look at the AFC North. Always fascinating to hear what Gordon McGuinness has got to say. It brings brilliant insight to that. But also, that experience from Jim, hearing exactly what it's like for the quarterbacks is really fascinating as well. So, we really hope you've enjoyed it. Um, We talked last week, of course, about our Week 1 live event. It is going to be different this year, as we've touched on. It will be an online event where we just aren't going to be in pubs to the capacity that we want to be able to do this. Uh, More details coming soon um we did mention that there would be uh, an opportunity i think i mentioned this to get a pack there is a, a bumper pack a very exclusive limited number 
bumper pack. We're going to have more details on that coming out this week. So keep your eyes peeled on Twitter because it's going to be really interesting. Like I say, very limited edition. The other one as well, as we've said, um, we're starting our first ever NFL Scotland Fantasy Football League this year. We've got one place that we're giving away to a listener of this podcast. We've had a couple of people get in touch with this one already. So make sure that you get your entry in by the end of July. What you need to do is send us a direct message and tell us in 200 words or less why you deserve the 10th slot in the NFL Scotland Fantasy Football League. That's the full-time whistle then for episode 106. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Share your thoughts on this episode via Twitter, at Scotland NFL, and on Facebook by searching for NFL Scotland. We continue to grow. We need your help to keep that up. We appreciate every retweet and share. Love hearing your thoughts on what we've been discussing on the podcast. We'll be back next week as we stay in the north, but we turn our attentions to the NFC. Thank you to Gordon and Jim for joining us. Thank you for listening and for taking the time to share your thoughts. We'll be back next week, but until then, bye for now.